0: Hello, everyone. Welcome into the Sports Plus podcast. I'm Corey Miller here with a full house, Ahmad Hicks, Hannah Yates, Andy Muller, and Frank Cusimano. It's an exciting time in the sports calendar. Let's get right into it. We'll talk about the Blues first as their season is ticking dangerously close to the end. We were all, I'm going to say pretty down. We were all very, very down on them the last time, uh, last episode of the podcast. I think that win over Colorado on Saturday gave a, a little bit of a boost, pulled people off the ledge a little bit, even though it was just one game and they're still currently out of a playoff spot as we sit here on Monday. But uh, watching the post-game show, which was very well done, Andy and Frank, good job on that on uh, Channel 5 after the game. But it, it seemed like everybody was feeling just a little bit better after that win over the avalanche on Sunday, Frank. Oh, well, i, I tell you what, Corey.
1: What I took from this weekend is just, Ryan O'Reilly. I mean, the whole weekend could just be summed up with that man's name. I mean, Andy and I were talking about it afterwards. It's just that, like Craig Berube says before the game, we need our leaders to lead. You're down 2 nothing to one of the best teams on the planet Earth. And what does this guy do? He says, get on my back. I'm going to score two goals. I'm going to finish with a hat trick. I'm telling you, I know he laughed at my idea about uh, a statue one day he plays seven more years at this level and they keep winning and maybe get steal another cup. There's going to be a statue of Ryan O'Reilly. The the, the guy I'm just so impressed,
0: so amazed with everything about him. That leads right into my next question. A hand of the blues would be down way down in the cellar, even further than they are right now without Ryan O'Reilly this year. That's a given. Uh, He's pretty much like Frank just said, won the game over the weekend. We see the goals, we see the points, but, what is it about this guy that just impacts a game so much on the ice?
2: Well, I think it's the way that he affects every single person he plays with, regardless of which line he's on. It's all of the little things that you see. He's one of the best two-way forwards in the league, and he's won awards for that. He has proof of showcasing that. But it's the passing. It's the blocking in front of the net. It's it's just everything that goes into making these – these players better, but he can set up those assists as well. It's not only his goal scoring capability and he can play more than 20 minutes of ice a night if he needs to. So um, he's just an all around team player. He's a leader and he can just do it all.
0: Ahmad, uh, Hannah, at least I remember Hannah and Andy's reactions last week when we talked about the blues uh, playoff hopes and they were pretty down in the dumps. I know you're going to shoot me straight here right now, as we sit here, a point out of a playoff spot behind Arizona, What are you you feeling here with a
3: couple weeks left? Well, I'll be honest. I told Frank this the other day when we were talking about the Blues playoffs chances, and I just said, um, at this point, does it even matter? I mean, right now we're scoreboard watching to see if they make the playoffs. But this looks like a team that's gonna lose in the first round of the playoffs if they get in. They're just up and down. There's no consistency in their game. You don't know which team is gonna take the ice each and every night. So, And they look a lot slower compared to their competition. I know Colorado is just has some of the fastest skaters in the league, but the Blues just, there's nothing about this team that gives you championship vibes like two years ago when they had that winning streak and they just couldn't lose or every game it seemed like they had a chance to win. You just don't get those same vibes watching this team this year. So I think even if they do you know, sneak into the playoffs, I don't think we're looking at a Stanley Cup run
0: by any means necessary. That's a good point When because they're going to be going up against Colorado or uh, Vegas right off the bat there. And when they've matched up with them so far this year, Uh, It's really been no comparison, at least in my estimation, when I've watched him, Andy, if they do want to make the playoffs, give me one guy other than Ryan O'Reilly and Jordan Biddington. That's that's got to actually step up and do something. Uh,
4: I think it's got to be Torrey Krug. Um, I think, uh, you know, the honeymoon period is over. Um, I think his scoring has been less than what uh, probably the expectations were. And as the quarterback of the power play, uh, he plays a really vital role, particularly in the playoffs where, um, where special teams play is so important. Uh, now the blues that now have a streak going of seven consecutive games with a power play goal. So maybe things are looking up, but he's gotta be, he has got to be good. And again, you know, when we, when we spent all day wondering if he was going to play or not, where did this, you know, all of a sudden game time decision, not practicing today, you know, happen but he's got, to, he's got to answer the bell.
0: That's exactly who I was hoping you'd pick when I teed up that question. So <laughs> there we go. Uh, let's move on. We'll talk some baseball cards. Big sweep over the past weekend of the Reds who have really taken a dive after everybody fell in love with them after a week and their offense, uh, which I don't understand why people did. And now the Reds don't look so great. So uh, Ahmad, who are you? Let me ask you this. What are you most encouraged about from the sweep over the weekend? Dylan Carlson raking in the two hole, Tyler O'Neill hitting some bombs, or Jack Flaherty finally going seven innings?
3: Jack Flaherty going seven innings and then proving to 4-0. I think that's the guy that I said at the beginning of the season, Corey, on our Cardinals weekly podcast that we do um, and video thing for YouTube He's going to be the horse for this team. He has to go deep in the games. He has to set the bar high. If Jack is the guy who can pitch into seven innings and, you know, put up some zeros up there, I think the Cardinals have a legitimate chance. And then it gives the rest of their rotation, you know, momentum. Then you got Wainwright coming up, KK Kim and everybody to follow. So I think he sets the bar high and everybody wants to match that. And right now he's undefeated. So I think every other pitcher is looking at him like, all right, we want to put up some zeros and get some Ws in the win column, just like Jack.
0: Flaherty's been looking good. Frank, after such a rough start in the starter department, they've gone through the rotation. Everybody's looked really good going deeper into games. Is what we've seen in this last path pass through the rotation really what we should expect from this rotation?
1: Yes, I think this, is, this last week is representative of what this starting staff is capable of. This is not a team that's going to outslug you. It's about pitching and defense. And, you know, I don't know if John Gant is going to be this good all season long, but they certainly have, you know, look, Carlos has breathtaking talent. Maybe he, he's finally going to put it together. We know how special Jack is. We know Adam Wainwright's coming off a great season. And I got to tell you, you know, when KK is right, nobody seems to square up baseballs against them. So uh, wait till you get Michaelis back. This is the way to beat the Brewers, you know, to out them. Although, you know, the Brewers have the big two, of course.
0: Let me, uh, Frank, while well, like we're talking about the rotation, I got you here. Let me see if uh, you can expand it all a bit on Bob Nightingale saying uh, the Scherzer camp and Cardinals could be an interesting fit to, at the end of this year if the Nationals are out of it.
1: Yeah, there's two big ifs. The Nationals, if the Nationals are out of it, and if the Cardinals are in it. But I, I think it certainly makes sense because if you trade him, if you trade for him at the deadline, it'd be, you know, just $12 million. it's you know you don't have to pay anything next year and lord knows you know you got all that money coming off the you know the payroll next year if you got a chance i mean if you're close with the brewers and washington's out of it it depends how you know much washington will demand in return uh general manager rizzo is quite sharp you just can't give up you know nolan gorman for a month and a half of max scherzer but it does make sense in a lot of ways
0: It'd be a lot of fun. And I think the Cardinals have been kicking themselves for years now. That contract was hefty, but Max Scherzer's been worth every penny of it. And I think they'd like to get him here if they still could. Hannah, let me go back. Ahmad talked about Jack Flaherty. He didn't pick my Dylan Carlson bait that I I hung out there. So I'll go with you on this one. Finally, (laughs) after now, I like to give Mike Schilt the benefit of the doubt because he's very good, very good to the media. And he usually makes the right decision. But fans have been clamoring for Dylan Carlson to bat second all season long. They finally put him in there and he absolutely goes off. Uh, I think there might be something to that. What do you see from Dylan Carlson's uh, over the last week or so?
2: I think there's been a lot of questions with with some of the way that Mike Schulte was structuring that lineup in the batting order for quite a while with Matt Carpenter, Dylan Carlson, Yadier Molina, even batting fifth for a period of time. But I think it's huge for Dylan Carlson there. You know he's getting on base. It's not like he's just jacking home runs every time. He's hitting singles. He's getting on base. He's setting up this team for the cleanup hitter. And I think it's fantastic. And you see what he's capable of. And I think it took these reps and this opportunity for him to finally show this potential and if he keeps this up who even knows what he could achieve later on in the year so I think it's a great sign I think it's great to watch a lot of these guys you mentioned Tyler O'Neill as well but them hitting and seeing just offense from the outfielders I think is huge for this team right now and I think it's a great sign moving forward
0: Frank you tweet this a lot and mention it quite a bit Dylan Carlson at the plate just looks like a guy with a plan and doesn't look like he's as young as he is he just looks like he's been in the league for a long time and knows okay, that's not my pitch. I don't want that. I should be getting this next pitch. He knows how to work a walk, so I'm glad they got him there at the top of the order, hopefully getting on base for Goldschmidt and Arenado. Andy, I'm going to come to you now. Uh, We talked about the starters. They're getting some more length on their starts. How big is that for a bullpen, which has just been really just worn out for the first three weeks or so of the season? Guys settling into their spots. Uh, Gallegos, then you get Hicks. Ray is taking over the ninth inning, which has been Adventurous at times, but he's still got a sparkling zero ERA out of it. So uh, how much uh, the starters going deep going to benefit that bullpen? Well, as,
4: as Frank uh, astutely pointed out, this team is pitching in defense and an important cog of that pitching staff is the bullpen. And I think Mike Schultz has been itching since spring training to trot out a bullpen with defined roles for the seventh, eighth, and ninth. And then to have two or three pitchers who just aren't coming in for mop-up duty, I mean, to fill, you know, multiple, multiple innings, but he'd like to be able to throw a Cabrera or, you know, or whatever, you know, in the sixth inning, if, if need be, or the, certainly the seventh inning, um, uh, or to, to come in and, and pitch to a key lefty off the, you know, uh, coming out of the bullpen. So I, I think it's, I think it's a huge link um, on the, you know, on what Mike Schultz is trying to execute with this team, and if they don't come in fatigued and, you know, I, I think John Gant is pitching really well right now. I'm still concerned because the last couple of years uh, he has started off like gangbusters, but I think he has kind of faded due to overuse. So I'm not sure that he's the answer in that fifth spot in the rotation. I think they're going to need to find somebody <clears throat> Uh, who can fill those innings uh, a little bit more uh, down the stretch, but then that gives you an extra weapon in the bullpen. So, yeah, I think it's a huge piece, and if the starters can keep uh, keep up what they've been doing, that makes the bullpen that much more effective.
5: And, and they, start even, for, if oh, go ahead,
3: even if Gant doesn't stay in the lineup, can we just make an appreciation post for his long hair? It's I was just going to say that same there, thing. Okay? That's
0: what I, <laughs> I was going to say John Ganton is uh, lovely locks off to a great start so far. He looks (laughs) like one of the
4: apostles. I was going to say we're going to have to start calling him the apostle or something.
0: Yes. (laughs) (laughs) He he doesn't have a whole lot to say usually, but he's got great hair and is (laughs) pitching well so far, so I think we'll take it. Uh, Let's move on a little bit. We're going to hear an extended interview with the one and only Pete Rose at the end of this episode, but I had to have a little separate category here so we can talk about it a little bit because I just had the greatest time ever going through that interview chopping it up because just some great stories with Frank uh, that you saw Sunday night on Sports Plus. Awesome to hear. Of course, Pete is both famous and infamous, but he's always good for a story. Uh, Frank, first thing, it seems like you had a heck of a time interviewing and There was multiple times I was scrolling through and you're doubled over laughing. Uh, you've, you've talked to him a few times, but it's always got to be cool to interview Pete Rose.
1: Yeah, I always thought that like he and Whitey Herzog Were the two most like blatantly honest, you know, low filtered, smart baseball guys. Now, I'm not saying that Pete Rose could have gone to Harvard, but in terms of like just raw, like baseball intelligence and candor, I just, I could never, you know, get bored listening to him. I I lived in Lexington for six years. So I, you know, the Reds broadcast, he and Marty Brenneman before a game. And he would talk like Whitey. You know, I'd like to pitch Tom Browning against the Dodgers tonight, but he can't get the Dodgers out, so I can't pitch him. That. I mean, just all that just blatant honesty. I just, I love everything um, about his relationship with the game. I know he's screwed up a lot of times, but he's a guy that I'll, I'll never not root for.
0: That memory, too. He knew exactly what he hit against Bob Gibson. That was pretty impressive. Andy, which, uh, which of the stories did you like best?
4: Well, first of all, I would say that uh, that Frank made a great uh, comparison with Whitey Herzog, because I can think of two players uh, or two baseball people uh, who remember every pitch of every at bat that they've ever of every game that they've been a part of. Pete Rose and Whitey Herzog. It's uncanny how uh, how their memory is. Um, you know, I. I, I would have to go off the board and, and say that, of course, you know, his his reaction to the to the Reggie Jackson quote about <laughs> uh, about, uh, you know, about, uh, you know, uh, getting a base hit or, you know, or, or whatever is uh, is better than <laughs> better than better than sex. And, uh, you know, his
0: response was classic. Um, that's one um, of the ones that got frank doubled over that was a good one uh, yes
4: it, yes it absolutely was and with good reason uh you know <laughs> and again there's that there's that
0: candor again
4: because he didn't rule out that uh, that reggie may have been right so you
0: know <laughs> stick around you'll hear uh, how pete rose almost became a st louis cardinal so that's coming up okay that is the horn here's our final buzzer question this week also sunday night on sports plus Frank highlighted the continued protests against Stan Kroenke as owner of Arsenal football club in the premier league after European soccer's richest owners tried to break off, form their own super league. It didn't work. And now everybody hates them. So my question this week to the panel, if you could own any pro sports franchise, that wasn't a St. Louis team, you can't pick the Cardinals. You can't pick the blues. Who would you want to own? What would you do with them? If anything, and why would you pick that team? Ahmad, I'll go with you first
3: the Dallas Cowboys, that fan base. Oh my, they haven't won a thing since I've been alive yet. They have the most consistent fan base around and they fill up that stadium night in and night out to be seven and nine or eight and eight every single year. So I would take that just because you know that they'll be around and what I would change, get rid of Jerry Jones being the general manager and find a real GM and then build a real team. And then you never know, you may, make more money and win more Super Bowls, So I would take the Dallas Cowboys because Texas and football will always be popular.
0: I like that. Hannah, what do you think?
2: That's a good one. Um, I was thinking about that. Maybe the Lakers. I think that would be really cool. I don't even have a really great reason for that. I know that obviously that franchise is loaded, but I think it's just a really cool brand. I think you could do a lot with that team. Players are drawn just to the name of it. You saw um, how strong the fan base was um, with everything following Kobe's death. But I just, you know, I just think it's, it's a cool franchise. And I haven't been around the NBA too much being in St. Louis. I think it would be a cool deal.
0: Andy, what do you think? Well, as easy
4: as it would, as it would be to say that, uh, that I'd like to own the Rams because <laughs> that would, that would have to, uh, that would have to infer that I have enough money to buy Cronky out uh and what would be uh, what would be a better thing to do than to uh have my first press press conference and look at the guy who used to own the team and say "Stand, you're fired um because not many people would get that opportunity um but uh but and i also think that i'd be wealthy enough that i'd just build my own stadium here somewhere in st louis and i'd move them back why not
0: i think uh, i think we can all well i don't know i'm still a a rams honk there so i don't know if he'd be on board with that he might you want to stay away now. let's go rams <laughs> <laughs> frank what do you think
1: no i think i'd actually wouldn't mind owning the cardinals you know just sitting in the green seats and ordering a different entree with each inning yeah i think i, I kind of would like to be the hometown owner of the of the st louis cardinals and all the pro you can't to go pick them
3: though you can't pick the hometown teams
1: oh you can't It'd pick be... the hometown teams oh no definitely no. go. All right, I would definitely go Celtics then. Yeah, and I would oh, yeah. bring I'd bring back Larry Bird as my coach and yeah.
3: <laughs> and you have a St. Louis kid Jason Tatum on the team. I feel That's you. That's
1: right. Yeah, I trade for go- Brad Beal. Ah. I'd pick up Ben <laughs> McLemore. That'd
0: be fun. I think I'd have I mean, you're talking about owning a sports team. It'd be, I have to pick the Yankees. Um, Honestly, I think that'd be the most fun to, because if I have enough money to own the Yankees, I can probably do whatever I want um, and sign whoever I want. And I'll be the biggest deal uh, because it's the Yankees and they have that mystique about them. So I think I'd have to go with the Yankees if I could uh, own any team. So, as I said earlier, we now have an extended interview with Frank and the all-time baseball hit king, Pete Rose. Some great stories with Cardinals ties, the inevitable Hall of Fame question, some other colorful interactions. Here's Frank and Pete Rose on Sports Plus.
1: And joining us on Sports Plus is Pete Rose. Pete, happy 80th birthday, first of all. And secondly, I know you hit 325 at age 40, if I give you 10 fastballs at 60 miles an hour, how many line drives can you hit at
5: age 80? Well, I don't know, because it's been so long since I've been to batting cage. The only time I go to batting cage nowadays is to work with youngsters, you know, try to help youngsters become better hitters. Uh, uh, you know, baseball is not a game for an old guy, although I did uh, lead the league in hits when I was 40 years old. So, uh, you know, it, it's something I did for a lot of years, actually 24 as a player and four and a half as a manager. So I spent uh, you know, over a third of my life uh, in baseball.
1: Pete, one of the great untold stories in baseball history, particularly the Cardinals and you, is after the 1978 season, where the Cardinals were 24 games under 500 and their future Hall of Fame outfielder Lou Brock was coming off a bad season. August Bush really went after Pete Rose and wanted you to be a Cardinal. How close were you to coming to St. Louis?
5: Well, if I had to do overall again, I'd I, I went to the Cardinals because he offered me a a, a Budweiser distributorship. What would that be worth today? Uh, but there again, you know, I liked the Cardinal, I liked the Cardinal organization, uh, but I didn't want to. I didn't want to replace Lou Brock. You know what I mean? Because Lou Brock's a household name in the St. Louis area, and he was retiring, and they want me to come in and replace Lou Brock, and uh, I wasn't really to. Uh, ready to do that. And I, I had offers from uh, the Atlanta Braves, uh, the Cardinals, of course, uh, that the, I went to the Phillies because that was the best team that I could see as far as the future was concerned. And it worked because I went there five years and went to two World Series and won a World Series for the first time in 86 years. So it worked out okay for me. But as I sit here and talk to you, I wish I had that Budweiser distributorship. You know, remember he gave, he gave Roger Maris one. Remember that? Yeah. Yeah. He offered um, me the same, same kind of deal. Mr. Bush was a great guy. I, I actually negos- negotiated with him when he was in the hospital with a hernia. Uh, you know, because I, I went around all the teams, Ted Turner and, and uh, John Galbraith in Pittsburgh, and I had a little tape showing my history as a baseball player. And, and uh, Mr. Bush was actually in the hospital at the time.
1: So he put the full court press on you.
5: Yeah. Yeah, he was a great guy. I mean, it, you know, uh, other than Cincinnati, I, I got the utmost respect for the, the St. Louis uh, Cardinal organization. They're a first-class organization. They teach the young players how to play, and they seem to always be competitive. The Cardinals, no matter what year it is, always seem to have good players that are competitive players, and I really like that about the Cardinals because don't forget I, I played against them for a lot of years before I become a free agent.
1: Well, it really worked out well because Lou Brock had a final season, which was great. And then you go on to Philadelphia and win those championships. And the amazing thing is you're in your late 30s and early 40s, and you play four straight seasons of every game. How do you do that?
5: Well, well you're right. When I went to Philadelphia, uh, 79, 80, 81, 82, I played every game. I didn't miss a game. That's the way a free agent's supposed to approach the game. I, I don't know, I, I didn't drink, I didn't smoke. I, I took care of myself. And I think the key to my success, okay, is I was always around great players. And if you're around great players, the game is fun for you. And the game was always fun for me. Real quick, let me run down teammates that I had. These are actual teammates that I had. Bench, catcher Schmidt, Larkin, Morgan, Perez, Frank Robinson, Andre Dawson, Tim Raines, Steve Carlton, and Tom Seaver. All Hall of Famers were my teammates. So how much fun was it for me to play?
1: Mm. Also in Philly, hit number 36-31, you pass Stan Musial, and Stan the Man is on the field, really embracing the moment with you. How would you describe your relationship with Stan the Man Musial?
5: Well, don't forget, when I was a rookie, in Stan's last game, <clears throat> Stan's last at bat everybody knew it was his last at bat at old push stadium and he got a hit to my left on playing second base right fielder threw it into me I took it over and I presented Stan with hit number 3630 and then of course when I broke his record he came out of the audience or the stands in, in Philadelphia and congratulated me Stan usual, one of the top five players in the history of baseball you look at his record it's amazing He was just a really, really good hitter and a really, really, really great guy.
1: Also in that 1963 rookie season, you're playing second base and Bob Gibson hits a double. It's your first real encounter with Gibson and you were kind of surprised he really wouldn't
5: talk to you. Yeah, I went over. I said, would you hit Gibby a slider? And he just was like this with his hands on his knees and didn't say anything. And I asked him again, he said the same thing. So the inning was over. I went into my ha- my manager, Fred Hutchinson, and I said, I said, Skipper, let me ask you a question. Is Bob Gibson a deaf mute? He said, why? I said, because I talked to him two or three times. He didn't answer me. He said, oh no, he don't talk to the opposition. So the next day we're taking batting practice. I'm watching Brock, Brock and Dick Rote and Bill White and Kurt Floyd take batting practice. And Gibby walked out of the dugout and he and he walked by me and he said it was a slider, Rook. So it took him 24 hours. But he did talk to me and every every event I used to do would give me after that. He would never stop talking. He he by far him and Tom Seaver and Steve Carlton were the most competitive pitchers I ever faced. And I faced 19 Hall of Fame pitchers.
1: Your memory is legendary. You faced Gibson 114 times. Do you know what you hit against him?
5: 307.
1: <laughs> Absolutely. Yep. You were uh, 35 of 114.
5: Okay, when, so you three, when you hit 300 off a guy like Bob Gibson, I mean, that's that's working hard. Because, like I said, he was an athlete. He wasn't only a pitcher. You know, he played for the Harlem Globetrotters. So how good you got to be to play for the Harlem Globetrotters? And he could field, he could run, he could hit, he could pitch. He was competitive. Uh, he seemed to always be in shape. Uh, thank God every pitcher wasn't uh, like Bob Gibson. Although I got lucky against him and hit 307.
1: We're a little prejudiced in St. Louis. We believe that Albert Pujols is the greatest right-handed hitter of all time. What do you think?
5: Well, I'm not going to argue with that because the guy's over 2,100. I watch him every night because I live in Vegas and we get the Anaheim games. And uh, Albert Pujols is – plus, St. Louis always has great players, but they have great people. You know, Albert, Albert Pujols is one of the best players as far as being a, a – a good guy to know in baseball. And I root for him every night and he can still hit, you know, he can still hit and he, he, he's right there with, with trout and and Upton and those guys. And uh, he might go down as the greatest right-hand hitter, because I think up till now, we always talk about Rogers Hornsby as being the greatest right-hand hitter or Willie Mays or Hank Aaron. Those guys are all pretty darn good hitters. And Albert Pujols is in the same breath with those guys. Where does
1: Whitey Herzog rank in terms of baseball minds? And do you have one great Whitey story in you?
5: I I don't have any Whitey uh, Herzog stories, but uh, Whitey, you know, uh, Whitey knew how to treat his his players. And that's what managing is, okay? And Sparky taught me this a long time ago. Think about this. There are three ways you can treat a player. Pat him on the butt, kick him in the butt, or leave him alone. Don't kick the guy needs pat. Don't pat the guy needs kick. If you're going to ask these guys to go to war with you every night, you got to know what makes them tick. Because some guys don't want to bat in their hand with bases loaded two outs. Some guys don't want to be brought in the game with bases loaded two outs. You need an out to get out of the inning. Other, other guys thrive on that opportunity. But a lot, you know, what, what you try to do as a manager, and why he was good at this, keep players out of situations where they'll fail. Because a lot of them will fail. Okay? Put players in positive situations. And Whitey was really good at that.
1: Pete, we have a third baseman now in Nolan Aranato who shares the same joy of the game that you once had. I'm wondering when you watch Aranato play, what do you think?
5: Oh, that guy can hit. I mean, I know he played his whole career in in Colorado and and you you lose a little thunder because of that. But uh, that that guy can hit. I mean, he can tone. He'll get hot this year at St. Louis and and St. Louis will get hot because Arenado can carry a team. I like I like to watch him play. He's just a good hitter too.
1: Your famous nickname, Charlie Hustle. And there's a great story about, there was an instance where you didn't run out of ball completely and your father confronted you after the game and it yeah. changed things from here on out.
5: Well, he just told me, he said, I taught you to run hard because he never waited after the game. This one particular night, he was out by my car. And he looked at me and said, don't embarrass me in this town like that. I taught you to run hard when you hit the ball because my, we're from Cincinnati. And my dad probably was the best football player to come out of Cincinnati. So uh, before I came along, he was the most popular athlete out of Cincinnati.
1: You once told me a great story when I was in Lexington, Kentucky, that some guys are blessed with power. Some guys are blessed with speed. But you were blessed with the ability to work hard. You think that's a that's a skill in a sense.
5: Oh yeah, I mean, uh, how you apply yourself is very important. You know, I had I had hand-eye coordination. Everybody knows that you don't make the big leagues about hand-eye coordination. But I had average speed, but yet I got 746 doubles. You know, uh, I had average power, but I got over a thousand extra base hits. You know, it, it, it's how you grind every day. I was a grinder, okay? But I love to grind. I love to win. And my biggest record, and I have 26 major league records, I played 1972 winning games. That, that's really a credit to all the teammates I had because you played the game for one reason. And you know this as being a Cardinal fan. You play the game to win the game for the hometown.
1: Do you think about the Hall
5: of Fame now? No, I don't think about it at all. I'm in the Hall of Fame of Cincinnati. I got a statue at the ballpark, and I got my number retired. And don't forget, I was born three miles from the ballpark in Cincinnati. So that means a lot to me because I'm a hometown kid. One, one of the, the first statues, one of the first statues I ever saw, here. hey, one of the first statues I ever saw was I used to walk from the... From the hotel to the ballpark in St. Louis, and they had Stan Musial statue out there. I used to get a kick out of that because, man, there's a statue of a guy I played against. He was the first Hall of Famer I played against.
1: Wow. All right, before that, let you go, I'm going to give you some quick questions, and you can't hedge on any of these. Mike Trout or Willie Mays?
5: Willie Mays.
1: What great pitcher did you own?
5: Warren Spahn.
1: What great pitcher owned you?
5: Randy Jones.
1: What do you think your numbers were against Jones?
5: None, not good, (laughs) not good.
1: Okay, no baseball in this world, you would have done what? Play football. Who's the one person you've met that's extremely famous that even you were intimidated meeting that day?
5: Ronald Reagan. What was that like? All, you're in all. He 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 called me twice at home. Don't forget, I met seven presidents.
1: Wow. Best single moment for you on a baseball field.
5: <clears throat> Other than winning the World Series in '75 for the first time, it had to be when I broke the record of 41.92 because I got a nine-minute standing ovation from 52,000 people. That's
1: what baseball player's ability? would you like to have for just one day
5: Willie Mays why because he could do everything plus he was a nice guy he always tried to help young players you know if I played against Mike Trout I'd probably say Mike Trout but I didn't play against Mike Trout I watched him play every night but I played against Willie and I I played with Willie on all-star games and right behind Willie would be Henry I mean, Henry Aaron has got 755 home runs and over 2,200 RBIs. Okay, so those are big numbers for, for, a, for a baseball player.
1: Describe what it was like to play at the old Bush Stadium in July on that AstroTurf.
5: Uh, day games were, were punishing because it was so hot. But there again, that AstroTurf, as soon as the sun went down, it cooled off. When the sun was shining on the AstroTurf, it was unbearable. That's why we didn't play a lot of day games. But anytime you could go to St. Louis and play baseball, it was fun. Because one, they always had a lot of people. And two, they were always competitive.
1: Reggie Jackson once said that hitting a baseball is better than sex. What's your reaction to that?
5: (laughs) Well, (laughs) I don't know if I go to bed with a bat in my hand. <laughs> I had to ask Reggie about that because Reggie's my buddy. You know, Reggie's, Reggie told me one time, he says, let me tell you something, Charlie. He called me Charlie. He said, every time I step into the batter's box, there was a man in scoring position. <laughs> I like that. <laughs> and 562 times, he had a home run. So Reggie was, Reggie was a credit to the game.
1: What would you give to be 25 for just one more day and to be hitting line drives again?
5: Uh, no, I don't want to be one day, one year. Because if I was one year, I'd be making $35 million a year. <laughs> <laughs> the hell with that one day stuff.
1: <laughs> if you could take something back about your career,
5: if you had yeah. to do over, what would it be? I wouldn't bet on baseball. I made the biggest mistake you could make. It was my mistake, and I'm not going to complain about it on your show or any other show. Uh, don't ask me why I did it. I don't know why I did it, but I uh, wish I had did it. because it, uh, But I've been able to survive, and I think partly because I'm the hit king. I got more hits than anybody in the history of baseball, won more games than anybody in the history of baseball, by 250. So uh, people remember those things about me, too.
1: Yeah, when you do look back on your career, what would you want somebody to say about Pete Rose?
5: I was the biggest winner in the history of sports. Because I am.
0: Thanks for listening to this week's episode of the Sports Plus Podcast. Be sure to download and subscribe wherever you get your podcasts, as well as rate and review. Have a great week,
2: everybody.